So you take a look at the gospel as we know it, and, and the gospel's a wonderful thing. It's, you know, uh, I, I kind of wrote some things down. It's God's glorious plan of saving an unworthy people unto himself, of sending his son to proclaim God's glory and to offer himself as the substitutionary sacrifice to save us from eternal hell and damnation, that we could be washed clean of our sin, covered by his righteousness and enabled to truly know him, to truly understand him, and to worship him in his presence forever. Uh, this is kind of the gospel that we know. This is the gospel that we preach and teach. But the one thing that I was struck is that that isn't the gospel in its entirety. To stop right there makes us the, the dam or the stoppage or the reservoir of God's blessing. We were meant to be the conduit of his blessings. We were meant to be the continuation of the pouring out of his grace and favor to an unworthy people passing through us and going forth for God's glory. This is how God is glorified by his creation. The um, wonderful work that the Lord does in our lives, in the old man dying and the new man being raised up in holiness, in righteousness is wonderful, but again, it doesn't stop there. God's plan for his glory is that we would be sent out into the world to proclaim his greatness, his mercy, his love to all creatures, great and small, to all nations and people groups that do not know Jesus. We have been saved to proclaim the saving grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations. So as we look at what's going on this weekend, we look at the, the sending out of the 16 people we have from this body up to Portland to catch a plane to go halfway around the world to share in his gospel started making me realize what God wants to speak this morning to us as followers, disciples, and learners of Jesus Christ. Um... In this thing that, that the Lord does called the sending, let's take a look at our scripture for this morning. Open up your Bibles, you guys, to Luke chapter 9, and we're going to be going through verse 1, 2, and 6. And let me read this for us all. It says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. After giving some instructions in verse 3, 4, and 5, we go to verse 6. And it says, So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. God's plan for his creation has always been to call the unworthy, 
to bless the unworthy and then to send the unworthy out into the world to proclaim the goodness, the righteousness, and the holiness and the wonderful works that God has done to these unworthy people, to a people that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. The plan has always been in these steps, you guys, the plan has always been that God calls, God anoints, God sends, and then his called obey. Before we break down this text, let's look at maybe a predecessor of what Christ had done himself here in the text in chapter 9 when he was dealing with his 12 apostles. And let's look at Abraham. In chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, we take a look at Abraham's calling just as a pattern of the plan for God's glory across the world. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. If you take a look at that and you take a look at the pattern that God had promised to Abraham, that's the pattern God was going to continue to use through the rest of eternity concerning his creation, us, the called. First off, he called Abraham. He called him, and in verse 1 it says, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house. Go. He blessed Abraham. He said, I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And then he sent him out. He said, get out of your country to a land that I will show you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That pattern that was shown about Abraham and Genesis rings true. And the more I studied it, you guys, the more I thought about it, the more true it became and the more relevant it became in our lives. Verse 4 in Genesis chapter 12, just to finish this off, shows Abraham's obedience. It says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoke to him. If you go into Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it says that he obeyed, talking about Abraham, he obeyed when he was called, and he went out not knowing where he was going. He was called and he obeyed. There was a calling on Abraham's life. There was anointing for power and authority in Abraham's life. There was a sending out of Abraham. And then there was an obe obedience and obeying by Abraham. Okay, so Luke chapter 9. Let's get back to our, our text. Luke chapter 9 verse 1 says this. It says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Jesus 
calls. Jesus calls them. There must be a calling. All these people, all the 12 disciples, were chosen and called by Christ. It explains us a little bit more in detail if you go back to Luke chapter 6, a couple, couple pages before, starting with verse 12. It says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray, speaking of Jesus, and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve whom he named apostles. And then it lists the names. These were not volunteers. These were not self-appointed. These were called. And it may look to us, as we take a look at the 16 that have been sent out to Nepal, it may look to us as if they were volunteers, as if they were self-appointed, but let's kind of back up maybe and take a look at Psalm 37, verse 4, that says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. God plants the desires. God plants the desires, and then he calls according to the desires he plants into action. And you know, I I don't know about you guys, but I know when I reflect on the time that God placed a call upon my life, back seven and a half, coming up on eight years ago, um, it was real similar to Isaiah Chapter 43, verse 1. And it reads like this. It says, But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. I don't know about you guys, again, but when the Lord placed his hands on my life and said those words, you are mine, my life from that point on could not ever be the same. The calling had to happen. The calling was powerful. And the 16 whom this church has sent out were called for the work that's set before them. If you look at John chapter 10, John chapter 10, let's see, verse 2 through 4. This is a really pretty picture as to what the Lord is doing in our Nepal team's life and in the home team's life here. It says, beginning with verse 2, Jesus is speaking. He says, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Let's make that, those verses maybe a little more relevant. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice. 
and the shepherd calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. He goes before them. And the sheep follow him for they know his voice. There must be a calling first. Again, breaking apart verse 1 of chapter 9 of Luke, back to our, our, um, our main text. It says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority. After Jesus calls, Jesus blesses. Jesus anoints. There's always an anointing for the calling that's placed on the lives whom he calls to himself for his own purposes, for the glory of God the Father. It says in verse 9 that he um, gave them power and authority. The anointing for power and authority must come first. Jesus warned the disciples in Luke 24, verse 49. As he's ready to ascend, the crucifixion had already taken place. The death and resurrection had happened. And some of the last words towards the end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. That power had got to come first. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 which is one we all know as far as the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But he's saying, Wait, the anointing has got to come, the blessing has got to come. What did he bless them with here in, in verse 1 of chapter 9? It says he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Jesus blesses them with power and with authority over not only the spiritual realm, but over the physical realm. In Matthew Matthew's account of, ascending, of the sending out of the twelve. Chapter 10, verse 8. The charge from Jesus says, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. The Great Commission at the end of the Gospel of Mark explains some of this power and authority over the spiritual realm and the physical realm as it says, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So in verse 1 we see that Jesus calls his disciples. He blesses them with power and authority. Verse 2 reads, He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Jesus sends them out. And it's Jesus, do you, do you see this? It's Jesus that does all the work. Jesus calls, Jesus blesses, Jesus anoints, and Jesus sends. In Matthew chapter 28, 
You know, the Great Commission we tend to look at a lot towards the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus exclaims, he says, All authority has been given to me on heaven, or in heaven and on earth. And he says, Go therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he says something similar. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. John 17, the the prayer that Christ displays to his father. He says in verse 18, it says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And after Christ's resurrection, as he appeared into the upper room to his disciples that were waiting on him, John chapter 20, verse 21, he says, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So in verse 2, Luke chapter 9, he says, He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God. He didn't just send them out randomly without a purpose, without a goal, without, a, without a, um, a motive. These 12 were sent out to preach the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 to 15 is probably the prettiest set of verses that explain why we are who we are, why we are saved as it goes through this, these series of questions. It says, how then... Shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Paul exhorted Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, as he said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, and exhort. Preach the word. In that same verse 2 of chapter 9, it says that he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Mark chapter, eight, or chapter 16, verse 18, says they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. We know that God has granted us the gifting that his power would go through us to heal the sick. We've seen it. We've witnessed it. The Bible speaks of it all over the place. But what what else might it look like to heal the sick? What else might be talked about here? As it says, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Luke chapter 5, just a couple pages before, verse 31 and 32, Jesus answered um, the scribes and Pharisees, and he says this. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Maybe it's healing the spiritually sick in addition to the physically sick. 
Maybe it's just a matter of healing spirits. Let's take a look, and by that I mean healing the spirits of the individuals that are out there and hurting. Matthew chapter 25 has a beautiful story of what might be meant here as Jesus sent them to heal the sick. And in the story of the sheep and the goats, starting with verse 31, he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the earth. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it unto me. Maybe that's what's talked about here. Maybe it's just reaching out to the poor. That's part of what our 16 are sent out to do. Heal the sick. Preach the gospel. Comfort the downcast. Touch up the wounds. As we jump down to our passage in Luke 9, and we go to verse 6. Verse 6 says this. It says, So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Verse 6, they obeyed. They were called. They were anointed. They were sent. And they obeyed. The commands of God are powerful. In Psalm 33, verse 9, it says this. It says, For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Elijah is a real pretty picture of obedience. Back in 1 Kings... Chapters 17 and 18. The one neat thing about looking and examining Elijah is that Elijah didn't do anything without the word of God coming first. Everything Elijah did, the word of God in its power, in its anointing, came first. If you look at 1 Kings 17, I'm just going to skip through this. Verse 2 says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, chapter 18, verse 1, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, 
We obey because the word of God says. As it as was spoken in a real beautiful way in John chapter 10 about the shepherd and the sheep, the shepherd goes first. The shepherd leads the way. Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is leading the way for our 16 to go to Nepal. He's preparing the grounds. He's preparing the, the hearts and minds of the Nepali people to not only accept them, but to accept his gospel. In 1 Kings chapter 18, there's a neat story of Elijah where Elijah confronts the 450 prophets of Baal. And he says, look, if Baal is God, let's worship him. But if the Lord is God, worship him. And he said, let's do this. Let's take a bull of each for each side. Let's prepare the altars. You prophets of Baal, prepare the altar. Cut up the wood, place the wood. Cut up the bull as your sacrifice. Place it on the altar. Call upon your God, Baal, to answer with fire. And he says, I'll do the same. And the God who answers by fire will be the God whom we worship. And the prophets of Baal set it up. And they danced around. And they did all kinds of calling. And they did all kinds of hooping and hollering. And nothing happened. And Elijah even made fun of them in, a, in an instant, saying, is your God asleep? Does he need to be woken up? Maybe he's on vacation. I don't know. Nothing happened. As they would normally do in, in their faith, they started slicing themselves up. And come about the evening time of evening sacrifice. This has been going on since morning. Elijah said, okay, it's my turn. He prepared the altar. He placed the wood on the altar. He sliced up the bull, put the bull on top. He doused it with water. Three buckets of water he poured out over the sacrifice, filled a trench around there, and listened to his prayer. Elijah says this. He said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. He says, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their backs to you again. He said, Lord, I've done all of this according to your word. And I expect you'll be faithful. And God was faithful. It says in chapter 18, verse 38, that then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah was obedient. The word of God goes first. And there's no questioning of the, word of, the God, uh, of the word of God. But there's an obedience. Peter, probably in the most simple um, explanation of that obedience, that simple, and I hopefully I'm using this word right, that simple sublime 
usage of obedience. In Luke chapter 5, as Christ was teaching from the land, the crowd got too big, so he hopped into a boat. And the boat that he hopped into was Simon Peter's. And he sat down and taught from the boat. And when Jesus had stopped speaking, verse 4, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. That's when all the fishing happened, you guys, on, on the Sea of Gennesaret, the Sea of Tiberias. All fishing happened at night. He'd been fishing all night. Happened to be at the shore pulling in his nets and Christ hopped in. But listen to what he says after this. After he explains that he's been fishing all night, that he hasn't caught anything, he says these words. He says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. What a great set of verses for us to live our lives by. Nevertheless, Lord, at your word, I will. Here's the coolest part of this whole story. The coolest part of our teaching here in Luke chapter 9, and looking at the agenda, the, the MO that God has in saving a people for his glory in that he calls them, he anoints them, he sends them, and they obey, right? The greatest part is that Jesus is the greatest and most ultimate example of all of that. Jesus is the hero that we fall, that we that we follow. God the Father sent his best. Just like we here in this little small church body, this family of believers, sent out our best. Jesus was called before the beginning of time. You read that over and over in scripture and probably a pretty part and we're running a little low on time so I don't want to keep you guys too long. But in Hebrews chapter 10, Jesus speaks of a body being prepared for him. That he will be sent into the world and that the Father's will will be done. Jesus was blessed and anointed by God the Father. Jesus was blessed and anointed by God the Holy Spirit. As Jesus began his ministry, in Luke chapter 3 verse 22, says the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Jesus was called. Jesus was blessed. Jesus was anointed. And then Jesus was sent into the world. And he was sent into the world to save the lost. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 through 3 paints a prophecy of what was going to happen when the Messiah was going to come. 
that when the Messiah was sent, when the fullness of the times had come, and here's the picture. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance to our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Jesus was sent. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And this also he reiterated when he was speaking from uh, one of the synagogues, and I believe it was in Nazareth, when he was handed the scrolls and said, is there anything you want to speak? He repeats this exact teaching and said, this has taken place now in your presence. Isaiah 61 says, the Lord has anointed me. He's anointed me to preach. And he has sent me to heal. In John chapter 17, his prayer again to the Father. He speaks of being sent many times. Verse 8 says, For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Verse 21, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 23, I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Verse 25, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. Jesus obeyed. He was called. He was anointed. He was sent. And he obeyed. In this same passage in John 17, verse 4, at the beginning, he says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. As he was hanging on the cross in John 19, verse 30, Scripture records, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus obeyed. Jesus never sends us to do that which he hasn't already done before us. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, despised the cross and has sat down at the right hand 
of the Father. Despise the shame, I should say. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that we look to. He's the one that we pattern everything after. And the cool thing about this whole deal is that not only was Jesus sent, and not only is he sending like he's sending our 16, but Jesus will be sent again. Jesus will come to reign and to rule in righteousness and in judgment. For it says in Revelation 17, For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. And we will praise him and worship him forever. Revelations chapter 7. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. What a pretty picture of us being able to gather around his throne of grace. As we wrap things up here this morning, and the worship team, Johnny, if you guys want to come on up, I pray this. I pray that those of us here right now gathered together worshiping his name, that we would not only understand, but that we would also buy into that great and amazing plan of Jesus calling an unworthy people anointing them with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and then sending them out into the world to proclaim his greatness, his majesty, and his glorious gospel of hope to an unbelieving people, all for the ultimate glory of God the Father. It says in Matthew 24, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Have you been called by Christ to follow him? I think we all need to really search deep inside and say, have we surrendered our lives to the calling of Jesus Christ to be sent out for his glory? Whatever that glory looks like, whatever that sending looks like, Sometimes the sending is for us to be sent here and be the home team that can pray three times a day for the next two weeks, interceding for those of our loved ones that are over there halfway across the world. Sometimes being sent out is being sent out across the street to preach the gospel to your neighbor that has never heard of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's being sent out like Chad Carpenter did to pastor a church in Lapine to preach the gospel of his grace. Maybe it's getting shipped out, getting sent out to Madras for a church crying to know the gospel. 
Maybe it's sent out like Don Chafee to Uganda. Maybe it's sent out like Fred and Mary to Senegal. Maybe it's just being sent out, being called, being anointed, being sent, and obeying to the calling of going to Nepal like our 16 have. Let's close with worship.